Let's open with a word of prayer and let's dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. So 3 John is this the third letter, letter of the apostle John to the local church. He's ministering to people and he's really going to speak about three individuals in this morning's text. And so as he's speaking about these three individuals, I pray that we can learn from all three, three of them. He's driving home an important lesson, a very focused letter that provides a couple of very practical lessons for how we are to live our lives as believers. So he's going to talk specifically to three people in the early church. Keep in mind again, by this time that John writes this letters, letter, more than, more than likely all the other apostles are, have already been martyred and died. And some believe he even wrote this after Revelation, but right about the same time. As John is writing this letter, he is in the earliest, in his late 70s, could have been as old as 90 years old. So here's this godly man, one of the last few people on the planet that had w literally walked with Jesus, been an apostle with him, had an intimate relationship with the Lord, and now he's been exhorting the people through these three short letters that we've gone through in the last couple of months. And so as he gets to this letter, again, he's speaking to three individuals. The first one we're going to meet is a guy by the name of Gaius. And Gaius is a generous, hospitable, and a godly man. And we're going to see how he addresses Gaius as he's speaking to him and encouraging him. Then we're going to see a man by the name of Diotrophes. And Diotrophes was a dictator and a tyrant. And so as he's going to exhort and encourage uh, Gaius, he's also going to rebuke and correct uh, Diotrephus. And then Demetrius, he's going to just mention him at the very end, and just a, a quiet, diligent servant that other people may not have known about. And so when we look back at the early church, a lot of times I think we might fall into the trap of thinking that the early church didn't have any problems, or the early church, they were so close to the time of Jesus that they were walking in great relationships with the Lord, but that's not the case. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll see that they went through great trials and great tribulation, and yet they remained faithful to the Lord. And then there were many false teachers who had sprung up in the midst of all of that. So both then and now, the church is filled with varying levels of spiritual maturity. You have people that have walked with the Lord and are spiritually mature, and spiritual maturity doesn't necessarily, is not necessarily equal to the time you've been saved. I know people have been saved a very long time and their walk with the Lord is still kind of in its infant stage and praise God that they're saved. But then you meet people that, as my dad would say, got saved real good. Amen. They got saved. They got saved real good to the point where their lives changed radically and they're on fire for the Lord and you can't spend 10 minutes with them without hearing about Jesus. So every Christian, every one of us has been gifted by God. And one of the key words we're going to see in this text is the word witness or testify. And it speaks of not only of the words that we say, but the lives that we live. We are walking testimonies to who Jesus Christ is and his power to transform our lives. Now, that doesn't mean we're perfect. We're all sinners saved by grace. And again, we're not sinless, but we should sin less. Amen. And as we walk with the Lord, we, we hopefully that we're walking billboards for Jesus. That people see that there's something different about us. They want to know the hope that lies within us. How can we be at peace when the rest of the world is in a place of such torment? Every Christian is a witness, either a bad one or a good one. Just think about that. Are you a good witness? Are you a good testimony to Christ? If every Christian lived the way that you live your life, what would the church look like? Would it just be somebody who shows up every, whenever the weather's not too cold or too hot? on a Sunday for an hour? Or, is, or do you have an intimate relationship with the Lord that is more important to you than anything else? If the whole church lived their life like you live it, what would the church look like? So we're all witnesses. We're either a good witness or a bad one. We're either helping people, bring people to the truth or hindering them from it. One of the things you see most often, especially now with social media, you'll see people who have left the church and the number one reason they leave the church is the way they were treated by other people who call themselves Christians. Now, as believers, we've all probably had times where we've been mistreated by people. But that being said, we shouldn't be here for other people. We should be here for Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? And has Jesus ever mistreated you? What's the answer? Has he ever been unfaithful to you? Has he ever broken a promise? He is a faithful God. 
And so even though people will say, well, I don't want to go to that church. They got, you know, a bunch of messed up people over there. Well, guess what? This is not a police station. It's a hospital. Everyone's welcome. And the room is filled with messed up people that need Jesus. Amen. And so when we come, we need to come with a joyful heart and recognize why we're here. Again, there were plenty of problems in the early church because there were people in the church. (laughs) Amen. People are looking for the perfect church. I people take me out to lunch like, this is what I'm looking for in a church. And they give you a list of 25 things. I'm like, I hope that works out for you, bro, because that church doesn't exist. Amen. And if you found the perfect church and you went there, you'd ruin it. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> I'm just thankful that God doesn't give up on problem people. I think I'm thankful that our God is, is gracious and loving and merciful. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knows us best and he loves us most. And you know what? God is so faithful. And we want to see these lessons we're going to learn from this early church and as he speaks into the lives of these three people. And again, one of the greatest letters as we look at this morning instructs us personally on how we ought to be different than the world. So in this short letter to Gaius, he's going to talk to this generous and hospitable man, a man of spiritual health and maturity, a man with a godly testimony who walked in the truth, a man who faithfully served in practical ministry. See, Do you know that not just the the most spiritually immature need to be encouraged, but even those who are spiritually mature need to be encouraged? Can I get an amen to that? So even if you're really, you've been walking with the Lord a long time, we still need to have intimate fellowship with God. We still need to be encouraged. We still need to be corrected even. And to this man of a spiritual maturity with a godly testimony who faithfully served the Lord, John delivers a word of great appreciation. Then we're going to go from Gaius to Diotrephus, and this guy's a dictator, He's a man, as you look at your, grab, go ahead and grab your outline, as long as I'm going through this. I tell the message, a, world, a word rightly spoken. Do you know that God can use us to speak into someone else's life, to encourage them, to strengthen them, to minister to them, but also, if necessary, to maybe help draw them back to the Lord, bring a word of correction if necessary? And that's exactly what's going to happen here. So first he speaks to the faithful brother, a word of appreciation, and then to the divisive dictator, a word of rebuke and instruction. And there's six things we're going to see that we see in the heart of somebody whose motives in serving the Lord are all wrong. There are people who come to the Lord for the wrong reason. And the truth is, if you're coming to the Lord for the wrong reason, you're coming to the wrong savior. Amen. There are people that come and say, well, I'll follow Jesus because he'll get me rich. I see the guys on TV talking about that. And they come to the Lord like he's the holy Santa Claus in the sky just asking for stuff. And guys, you know what? Jesus already gave us the greatest gift ever when he went to the cross of Calvary and suffered and died that we might have eternal life. And you know what? If he never gave us anything ever again, he's already given us plenty to praise him with for, for the rest of our lives. Amen? And so we're going to see six marks. First, one who loves preeminent. See, somebody who's got the wrong motive, they want, to be, they want to be noticed. They want their name to be remembered. They want to be lifted up in the eyes of other people. I love this analogy I heard some years ago. Uh, John Corson, who's one of my favorite Bible teachers, when he was going to Biola, He said when he was in school there that they have different speakers coming every week to do chapel. And one week they had a man come and he knew Greek and Hebrew so well that the whole message, he just talked about the Greek and Hebrew and they all went back to their their dorm room and said, man, that guy really knew Greek and Hebrew. And that's what they talked about. Then the next guy came and he was a great storyteller. And they just were blown away by the stories he told and the gifting he had to tell stories. And they all went back to the room and talked about what a great storyteller he was how they were going to always remember him for that. And then finally, Pastor Chuck Smith came from Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and he taught on the love of Jesus. And they all went back to their dorm and talked about the love of Jesus. See guys, we, when we get done talking to somebody about the Lord, hopefully they forget us and remember him. Can I get an amen to that? That we don't need preeminence. It's not about us. Because by the way, any good that we do, God gets the glory because without him, we can do nothing. So he first rebukes him for his love for preeminence, and then one who does not respect authority, doesn't want to be corrected ever, doesn't ever seek counsel from anyone else. 
And sadly, there's, we can fall into that trap where we think we're the one that's important. Now, again, we're important to the Lord. We're the pearl of great price. You know, he sold everything to buy the field just so you could be saved, that, it, that uh, proverb we see in Scripture. But the reality is that at the same time, we need to be those who respect and recognize authority over us. We also want one who is teachable. Uh, The thing about Diotrophus, he was unteachable. You couldn't teach him anything. You couldn't speak into his life. As believers, we're being sanctified. We're in that process of where we're just growing day by day and being molded more and more to the image of our Savior. And whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or, or 500 years, you still have growing to do. Anybody else need to grow spiritually in this room besides me, okay? So we need to be teachable, but he says this man was unteachable. He was also one who slandered all who came against him would rather see things burn to the ground than be wrong. And we have those people that they just want to be right. They just want to be right. And they'll let you know if you, know, if, if you don't see my way, you're done. And, and there are some that their love is conditional on you agreeing that they're right. We call that, we call that eros love, don't we? Where someone says, if you don't do what I want you to do, then we've lost our relationship. And that's the kind of man Diotrophes is. He's a man who is so focused on he has to be right and everybody has to do what he says the way he wants it done. And if he doesn't, and he's going to be corrected in this morning's text. He's also one who is controlling and dictatorial. He's somebody, we're going to see him command someone not to use their gifts. Boy, could we be any opposite of that here? See, our whole heart is, is that everybody would use their gifts. Amen? You know, you'll you'll have churches that are a cult of personality where one or two people are, are the, do all the ministry and everybody else is just a spectator. And that's not the body of Christ. Amen? The body of Christ is we've all been uniquely gifted. I may have gifts you don't have. You have gifts I don't have. And the body of Christ should work where we're all using the gifts God's given us. If, if we're all our eyes, where's going to be the hearing? And Diotrophus was a guy that he, he just wanted to have control over all of it. Did not want to give ministry away, raise other people up. And finally, one who is harsh in his treatment of others. As Christians, we should be the most kind and loving people on the planet. Amen. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5.22. In that list is love and also kindness, right? And as believers, we should be other-centered. Centered. Jesus, others, yourself. That's how we have joy. And then finally, not only do we see words to a faithful brother and then to a divisive dictator, but also to a good and godly example. He has a good testimony before men. He has a godly testimony in light of God's word. You look at his life and it looks like the word of God. Others bear witness to his character, and he's one who seeks only to love, serve, and honor the Lord. So let's begin there in verse 1, looking at a word rightly spoken. First, speaking to a faithful brother. We're going to see that he's spiritually healthy, he has a godly testimony, and he faithfully serves others. Verse 1. So it says, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. First he says, the elder, then he says, to my beloved Gaius, whom I serve, whom I love in truth. So the elder, he did the same uh, introduction in 2 John. And if you remember that in those days, in this case, they probably didn't need, need to do it as much, but you know, he had these long scrolls like Corinthians, you know, I might've gone for a, you know, a football field, right? But in this case, it's a shorter letter, but they always began from who the letter was from. And at this point, he is the elder. He could have said the apostle, because at this point, all the other apostles are more than likely already in heaven. So he's addressing them. This is who the letter is from. And no doubt when, these, when this letter is, arrives and they open it up and they see who it's from, these men's hearts skipped a little beat. Those who would read this letter because it was coming from a man who God was using mightily, a man who God was using to write much of the New Testament. And so when he got this letter, it was somebody that they respected. Maybe not Diotrophus, we'll see that, right? But who they respected him and they were getting a message from him. And whenever I read letters like this, I imagine what would it be like if, if I got a letter from Pastor Chuck or I got a letter from you know, my dad who to me was my, my pastor. And when you get a letter from somebody that you respect, somebody that you know walks with the Lord and it's something that God's moved on his heart to write to you or her heart to write to you. And you open it up and you read it. 
carries some weight, and especially since we know John is at the very end of his life. So as he's writing this letter and the letter gets opened up, no doubt there was some anticipation to see what he was going to say. Again, this aged apostle, and again, both elder in his years, again, probably in his 80s or maybe even in his 90s, an introduction always says a lot about the relationship he has. So the elder, he needed no further explanation. They knew exactly who was writing to them. And again, like you and I, opening something from the person we consider our pastor or somebody who's been poured into our lives and has discipled us. So then it says, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. After identifying himself, he identifies who he's writing to. Now, Gaius, believe it or not, was a very, very common name in those days. Matter of fact, there's at least five of them in the Bible and I'm not sure if this is any of the other ones who had already been seen in Scripture. There were four different Gaiuses mentioned before this one. No well, real way to be sure as to who he was writing to. There was the Gaius in Corinth who, who Paul baptized and who hosted a church in his house. In Acts 19, there was a Gaius in Macedonia who accompanied Paul and spent some time with him in Ephesus. In Acts 20, there's a Gaius who was in Derby and served and ministered there. And then here we have the Gaius here in 3 John. And probably not any of the guys from above, unless he's much older at this point, because the way that John speaks of him is like a son in the faith. So what do we know about this Gaius? We know he's a true spirit-filled believer, probably from one of the churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. You didn't know that their God brought revival in Turkey back in the day, but he did. And when John had an apostolic oversight, that was his greatest influence, was on one of his greatest influences on this young man, or this man. And while we're not sure exactly who Gaius is, we can be sure about how John feels about him. He says this of him, whom I love in truth. He calls him beloved. The word beloved there means the well-beloved. It speaks of a deep affection. John uses this term in regards to Gaius four times in 14 verses. Four times he's going to refer to this man as somebody I love deeply. Have you ever noticed how amazing it is when you have Jesus in common with somebody that, that, become, that the love that you have for them deepens. Can I get an amen to that? You know, the blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit's thicker than blood. And when you have Jesus in common, we're more than just friends. We're more than just, you know, people who happen to go to the same church, but we're people that have Jesus in common. We've been adopted into God's family. We're going to spend eternity together. And so he has a deep love for this man. I have a deep love for every single one of you. I count it a blessing and a privilege that we are truly family. We have Jesus Christ in common, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? It says, whom I love in truth. The word there for love, I'll give you one guess. What do you think it is? It's agape. And again, we know there are many terms for love in Scripture. There are four that are used predominantly, but agape is a selfless love. It's a love that gives. It's a love that serves. It's a love that esteems people outside of itself greater than itself right? So it's a, it's a love that gives. It's a love that's unconditional. It's a love that doesn't decide whether the person has earned it or is worthy of it. It's, it's a love that loves even if you don't deserve it. It's not a love that's conditional on your behavior. And then you know what? And again, most of all, it's a love that gives because Jesus said, of Jesus it was said, he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The word there, Jesus is speaking that to Nicodemus, a, a ruler of the day. And what does he say? He loved, he agape the world, so he gave his only begotten son. And so agape is a love that gives. And see, I don't know about you, but, and, and, and my wife has to correct me on this often. I love to give gifts. I'm not a big fan of getting them. I'm just not. What do I need? I don't need anything, right? But the point is, we need to learn to give gifts as an act of love. We also need to be willing to receive gifts because somebody loves us. Amen? And I would much rather give 100 gifts to my wife and get none because that's just how I'm built. And that, but you know what? But agape should give. Amen? We should have that heart to give and esteem others greater than ourselves. And John really loves this guy. And it says he loves him in truth. His unconditional love was grounded in their common heart and attitude. You know, the truth is something that should bind us. We live in a time today when people don't believe there's any such thing as truth. People panic when you ask them, is that true? And they get all, they get all fidgety. 
Is it true that a man is a man? I can't answer that question. And I don't understand why that's so difficult. Amen? But we live in a time when truth is something that is challenged. But guess what? There's one answer to who the truth is. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Amen? So next time someone asks you to define the truth, just say Jesus. Amen? Because he is the truth. And he says, we have the truth in common. And when you have the truth in common and you're standing up what you, what you know to be true, and you have the Holy Spirit in common, and you have the same passion to see the lost saved, you can see why John has a great love for Gaius. This is a man who is spiritually mature. This is a man who shares his faith. This is a man with the heart of a servant. And John sees that in him. And John and Gaius, their hearts are knit together. Again, when you have Jesus in common, you have everything in common. You want to unite two lives in a powerful way. You find two human beings who have the same love and respect and commitment to the word of God. I love hanging out with Christians. Amen? I love it. I love when I meet them in the grocery store. My wife says I have friends and people I haven't met yet because I talk to everybody that I walk by. And the truth is that when you meet another believer, there's just an instant connection. Amen? There's an instant, man, where do you, where do you fellowship, bro? How long have you been saved? Tell me, get, share your testimony with me. By the time you get to the front of the line at, you know, checkout line, you're just exchanging Facebook pages and phone numbers. And you know, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in heaven. Amen? Because that, that common bond, that common love, and we see that between John and this man, Gaius. A mutual love for God and for his word. That love that goes deeper, based not on common blood flowing through our veins, but the same Holy Spirit indwelling in our hearts. It's seen in a common love for the truth. I think more about heaven now than I ever have. And a lot of us, as more and more people that we love go to heaven, we, we think about heaven even more. And I just, we were talking about this when my, we were in the car together driving to go get a Christmas tree yesterday. My, my wife and my son Johnny and his wife Kaylee, we were just talking about heaven and how exciting it's going to be to get to heaven one day. Guys, are you excited about heaven? We ought to be excited about heaven because heaven, no matter how amazing you think it's going to be, it's going to be way more amazing than that. And when we get there, we are going to be blown. You're going to see your Savior face to face. Amen. You're going to see the nail prints in his hand that he endured because he loves you. You're going to see those who've gone before us. I can't wait for the reunion with so many people there that I love. My prayer is that all of us will be there together. It would break my heart that even one of us would not be there. See, he has this, this love that's thicker than, than, than just being blood relatives. It's thicker than living in the same neighborhood or in the same country. It's that common bond that we have in Jesus Christ. It's a type of agape love, Holy Spirit committed, driven, committed to the truth relationship that existed between John and Gaius, a relationship we all as believers should have. Verse 2, it says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So he's speaking to a man who God is using mightily. He's speaking to a man who's spiritually mature in his walk. And what does he do? He encourages him. John continues his words with a common greeting, a more expanded way of saying, I hope things are going well for you. But notice the specific things he prays for on Gaius's behalf. And by the way, we need to be praying for each other more. Amen? I love when I get your prayer requests because they sit in my car for the entire week and as I'm driving between sales calls, I pray for you. And I have found the more we pray for people, the more we kind of love them, the more burdened we are for them. Amen? I shared with you guys a few weeks ago that one of my customers, I told him we would pray for his cancer. And last week and a half ago, when I talked to him on the phone, his cancer's gone. And I literally prayed for him every single day for six months. He was on my heart. He was on the top of the list. And I think I was more excited that he got healed than he was. He called me up about something else. I'm like, Tom, how's your health, bro? How you doing? Oh, you're not going to believe this. I, I, yeah, I will go. What, what happened? He said, I went to the doctor and they said, I'm in full remission and my cancer's gone and I'm going to live a normal, long health. I'm like, praise the Lord on the phone like that. So he says, one of my customers, not a believer, by the way. And I just couldn't stop talking about it. He wanted to talk to me about something. I go, bro, you're, you're going to see your grandkids grow up. You're going to, you know, because those are things he was really concerned about. And we're talking about the Lord. And the point is, I have a deeper love for him because I've been praying for him. And see, John and Gaius, they're both believers. And as they pray for each other, there's a deep bond that grows within them. 
That's why we as believers ought to be praying for each other more. He says, I want you to have to be in health, to prosper. The word prosper there is, is well, have a well way, literally to have a good journey in your walk, to be successful, to lead in the direct and easy way of life, to be in health, he says there, it, to be well in body, uncorrupt, safe, sound, and whole. The same way uh, some have supposed that this prayer for health may have meant that Gaius had been dealing with health issues. But again, riches can be a distraction and, and, and we can get so, it's so easy for us to get caught up in chasing after what we think makes us prosperous. And when he's talking about prosperous here, he's really talking about his health. Then he says there, the be in health just as your soul prospers. What a powerful statement in regards to Gaius' spiritual walk. He says, you know what? I pray that you're as healthy physically as you are spiritually. Can you imagine if that was always the case for every one of us? Can you imagine if your physical health was based on how you're doing spiritually? Hello, amen. I'd be afraid to go see my doctor sitting right here in the front row. Okay, what are you doing, bro? Why are you here? You're sick. What happened, right? And the reality is that as believers, you know, he's saying to him what really matters. He says, I, I pray that you're as physically healthy as you are spiritually healthy. Because you're a man of God, and you're a man who loves the Lord. And he's encouraging his brother. He's giving him words of appreciation for who he is. John's prayer is, I pray that you will be a prosperous in your daily activities and as healthy in your bodily, physically, as you are in your soul, spiritually. It is important to note that this is no guarantee that obedience will always result in physical health. Matter of fact, we know just the opposite that virtually all the first century Christians and certainly all the apostles, all them that were used mightily suffered greatly. But again, it all depends on where your focus is. Did they suffer eternally greatly or did they only suffer greatly in the temporal, which won't matter when we get to heaven? Can I get an amen to that? When we get to heaven, the things that were important to us here will not be important anymore. The things that burdened us, that kept us up late at night, the things that, uh, again, we spent probably way too much time on sometimes, those are going to be things that don't matter. What's going to matter? Here's what's going to matter. You ready? What have you done with God's son? Amen? What have you done with Jesus? Because nothing else, now again, we'll be being good parents, we should do that. We should be good workers. But ultimately, when we stand before Almighty God, it will matter what we've done with him. Sometimes it's God's will that we experience times of poverty and physical infirmity that we might grow spiritually and bring glory and honor to his name because one of the things that riches can be is a distraction. They asked uh, Rockefeller many years ago, how much money did you have to, you know, have to be content? Was it a million? Was it 10 million? Was it 100 million? Was it a billion? And his answer was a little bit more. See, no matter how much we have, our flesh will never be satisfied. There's nothing the world can give you that will satisfy that God-shaped vacuum that only Jesus can satisfy. Amen? There's no amount of promotions. There's, no, there's not a house big enough. There's not enough money in your bank account. There's nothing that can go, you know, that, that will satisfy. The, your, your flesh will never be satisfied. The new car smell will wear off, Right? That thing that brings you joy for a moment, but that's temporary happiness. And the truth is real joy comes from right standing with Almighty God. And as Christians, our deepest desire shouldn't be for our physical wealth and comfort, but God being glorified in us and through us. Amen? Gaius was a man of great spiritual maturity and prosperity, and John prays that his health and wealth would be equal, again, to his spiritual prosperity. What would it look like, again, if each one of us our health was aligned with where we are spiritually. A blessing for some, scary for others. Amen? Now, there's two things about physical health that we need. What do we need to have good physical health? We need diet and exercise. Amen? Amen? amen. Doctors saying amen, so truth. Amen? <laughs> amen? We need diet and exercise. We need what we, what we put into our bodies and how we exercise. But you know what? As spiritually, it's diet and exercise. Our diet, are we feeding on the word of God? Are we spending time in his word? Are we spending time in worship and then exercise? How are we using the gifts God's given us for his glory? See, it's what, what, what the intake of what we feed on and then the, what we do with the time and the lives that we have been given by the Lord. 
Spiritual health is the same, feeding on God's word, exercising our faith, putting God's word into action, staying away from the poisons of this world. And Gaius, may you prosper materially and physically as you have spiritually. Verse three, we're gonna see that he's a man of a good testimony. So he's spiritually healthy, that's verse one and two. And now we're gonna see that he has a godly testimony. Verse three, he says there, for I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified the truth that is in you just as you walk in the truth. Isn't it exciting to hear that somebody that you know is doing great spiritually, amen? There's few things that get me more excited and it happens more, it just happened the other day. There was a young man in, my, in, our, in the youth group that I was a youth pastor of in San Jose. And unbeknownst to me, he planted a church a few years ago. I have no idea how that got by me, but it did. And I was on Facebook and they posted his message from last Sunday. And I'm watching him and I'm just in tears because I remember when that young man wanted no part of youth group. I remember when that young man came because he was drugging there, kicking and screaming by his parents. But then I watched God do this work in his life. He ended up going on a missions trip with us to Russia. And I remember seeing him on the street, witnessing to people in Russia. And now you fast forward some 20 years and here he is standing behind a pulpit, teaching God's word. And I was just in tears. You know, I know no greater joy than know my children walk in the truth. We're going to talk about that. It's coming up in the next verse. But the point is, John is so excited to hear that Gaius is doing well. It blesses him to hear. And guys, I think we need to make sure we understand what doing well really means. Again, having a good job, that's fine. That's a blessing from the Lord. Having a nice home to live in, having a, a wonderful family. Those are all things we can rejoice in. But if we have all of those and we don't have Jesus, we're not doing well. Amen? We're not doing well. And so it's so good to hear. And he is so blessed the spiritual maturity had come to John's attention through that testimony of others. And note the word uh, that, that the Gaius had been given, that the testimony was not something he testified of himself. By the way, there's few things more nauseating than someone coming up and telling you how amazing they're doing for the Lord and what a blessing it is that God has them on his team. Because what would God do without him, right? I remember being at a a uh, pastor's thing in, in Washington, D.C. It was called Watchmen on the Wall. And they had different speakers from all different denominations who were speaking. And this one guy got up and spent the first almost eight minutes, because I know, I looked at my watch, telling us how amazing he was for eight minutes. And I just, went, I just, I was so close to just throwing up. It was nauseating. You know what? God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Amen. God uses people like us. And if God uses us, he should get all the glory. And it's nauseating when someone gets, oh, well, I did this, and I started this, and I created this ministry, and this ministry, and this, and five billion people got saved at my last crusade, and just on and on and on and on. And you're like, bro, humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Amen? Pride is what got Satan thrown out of heaven. And we hate pride in other people. Amen? But we all struggle with it sometimes. Anybody besides me, okay? But the point is that these accolades aren't coming from Gaius, other people. Other people say, man, God's really using him. Boy, he's really on fire for the Lord. Boy, he has godly character. Man, he loves people. Man, he's got the heart of a servant. And boy, we love to hear that, don't we? Especially when it's told by somebody else. A few things again and boasting in ourselves. Again, Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Let me give you an example of who we should follow. Jesus is God. What did he always do? He pointed people to the Father. Amen? The Holy Spirit is God. What did he do? He pointed people to Jesus. Okay, so Jesus is God. He pointed people to the Father. Now, when they asked him, are you the Son of God? Sometimes he would always say, yeah, it is as you say. He never denied who he was, but he was always pointing people to the Father. The Holy Spirit is God. He was always pointing people to Jesus. This is perfect, holy God pointing people to others in the Trinity, and we're sinful, vile people. Why in the world would we ever point anybody to us? Can I get an amen to that? We should always be pointing to him. We should always be praising glory and honor to him, because without him, we can do nothing. Amen? Who do you point to? The word came to John Gaius as a godly, spirit-filled man who not only knows the truth, 
but his daily life reflects it. He's growing in the truth. He's a man of God in belief and word and in action. And John's response there, he says, I rejoiced greatly. I'm so excited. And that's a sign of spiritual maturity. Here's what can happen. I'll be transparent with you. This happens even with pastors sometimes. I've shared this with you before, where pastors act like they're in competition with each other. Now, not the more spiritually mature ones. They're past that. But early on, it's like, well, how long is your church been? How many people you got coming? And, and, your, and your level of you know, how important you are is based on how successful you are from the world's standards. And see, that's an ungodly perspective. Amen? So we just need to be faithful to what God's called us to do. And the results are up to God. And if God does anything, to him alone be all the glory. I have a friend of mine, pray for him. His name's Mickey. He's up in Alaska. He went up there to plant a church. Now, you know you're called when you go to Alaska. I go to Hawaii. There's like 25 Calvary chapels in Hawaii. I think there's zero in North Dakota. Anybody feel called to North Dakota? But he's up there pastoring this little church. And there's like literally eight people coming at this point. It's in this little town out in the middle of nowhere. It's so cold there that he has to make sure that his car's fully gassed because if it breaks down on the way to work, he can die. It's that cold. I'm like, why would anybody live there? But he's there because God called him and he's being faithful. And my encouragement to him every week is, we text almost every week, bro, don't worry about the empty chairs, preach to who's there. Just minister to whoever's there. Those eight, praise God, there's eight people that got up on Sunday and drove to this little place where you guys meet so you could give the word to them. And what a privilege that you get to give the word to them. Amen? See, it's having a heavenly perspective that it's not about us. Wherever God chooses to use us, it's a get to, not a have to. Amen? And he was rejoicing and excited when he heard how he was being used by the Lord. The depths of his joy are noted in the next verse. Verse four, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. How many parents we got here? Is there anything more important than your kids loving Jesus? That's what we want. Isn't that what we want above all else? The greatest joy we can have is to see our kids loving Jesus. I remember I'd go by the kids' bedrooms when they were in school and they'd be doing their homework and they went to Christian schools and they had their Bibles out. And I would say to my wife, I'd say, you know, if that's, if that's the only reason they go to Christian school, it's all worth it. Amen? That their homework is Bible. I'm like, praise God, that's so good. Amen? And to see your, your kids worship. I remember being at a, a, a retreat and my kids were there and they were worshiping. And I was just a, a weeping mess. I'll be a weeping mess on the 18th when little kids are up here singing about Jesus. Amen? But there's no greater joy. And so in, in this case, he's really talking about Gaius like he's a son in the faith. But it can also apply to our own children. And when we see other people growing in the Lord, when we see people that God's blessed us with the opportunity to disciple and they're growing in their relationship with God, it brings a great and incredible joy to our hearts. And again, this is one of his sons in the faith more than likely and nothing more significant in the life of a believer than to lead another person to Christ. Now we know we can't save anybody. Can I get an amen to that? Well, I've got to get my argument down so I can save some people. Well, you need a study to show yourself approved. A workman need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We should be able to share the hope that lies within us. If you're a new believer and you don't know the word that well, start spending more time in the word, but you can share your testimony with everybody. Amen? Yeah. Testimony is who I was, then I met Jesus, and here's who I am now. And by the way, nobody can refute that either. Amen? So you can share your testimony. You can share the hope that lies within you. But the sad part is, and I see these studies, and again, only God saves people. And if anybody gets saved and he happens to use us, to God be all the glory. But there are people that will go their entire life as a Christian and never share their faith once with anybody. And to me, I can't imagine anything more selfish than we have the truth of how to get to heaven. The promise of eternal life. The Holy Spirit's come to live inside of us. We now have love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness. Our lives have been transformed with the promise of heaven. We have intimate relationship with the King of Kings. And then we tell no one. Imagine if everybody had cancer in your neighborhood, everybody in your workplace, and you had it too, and they gave you the cure, and you, knock it, you gave it to yourself, took the pill, whatever it was, and it went away. And imagine if you had a drawer full of pills and you gave them to nobody else, because all you cared about was the fact that you're going to heaven, that your cancer has been healed. Well, as believers, we have the antidote. The problem, the cancer is sin, and Jesus is the answer. And how dare we keep it to ourselves? Amen. Now, I will say this. It's not easy to share your faith. It's not easy. The enemy will do everything he can to keep you silent. 
If the enemy can't take you to hell with him, he'll try to disqualify you from ministry. If he can't do that, he'll distract you and make you ineffective for the kingdom of God until you get to heaven. And I pray that we would not be those people. You are going to have divine appointments this week with people that need to hear about Jesus. And may we not keep it to ourselves. Amen? And just pray and ask God to help you. God knows. Lord, I don't like talking to people. <laughs> I'm not talking about me because that's just not true. <laughs> but Lord... I, I'm not the most eloquent person. Lord, I, I, I don't, but, if you're here, but Lord, you know that and you made me this way, but you've told me to share my faith with others. So Lord, just bring people in my path and, make, and just open the door for me to talk to them about you. Do you know that God will answer that prayer? Amen? He will answer that prayer. You know, it's, we, 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 it's easier to pray than it is to share your faith. Can I get an amen to that? You know why? Because it's easier to talk to God about people than it is to talk to people about God. Amen? Because we know God will listen and people don't always, right? We know that God will not get mad at us for praying, but people sometimes do. And I just want to encourage you to pray about that because when we stand before Almighty God on a judgment day, and I envision that all the time, by the way, it's something I envision probably weekly, standing before the Lord and looking back on my life with Him. Because again, I'm already forgiven. If you're giving your life to Jesus, you won't be at the great white throne judgment. You're going to heaven, but we will be judged by how faithful we are to the gifts He's given us. Amen? And so when we stand before him, I just imagine him showing me areas where I fell short and opportunities I had. And you know what? When that happens, it'll be too late, but it's not too late now. Amen? It's not too late to finish strong for Jesus, to be faithful to the opportunities that we've been given. Second only to your own salvation is the joy and privilege of leading another person from death into life. And again, it's not because of who we are. We don't get the credit for it. We're just tools in the hands of the master. And the joy is multiplied as you're able to watch that person grow in spiritual maturity. It just is such a great joy to see them begin to use their gifts to impact eternity. And the word came back to John that Gaius had been exercising the gift of hospitality. He opened his home to traveling believers who were running for their lives, giving them safe haven from health risks and temptations that would be in the local inns, providing them with not only a safe place, but a place of godly fellowship and nourishment, nourishment and encouragement. And imagine John just hearing from travelers how they were weary and Gaius opened his home and loved on them and ministered to them. And see, there's just nothing better than that. To hear that other people are walking with the Lord and growing in their relationship with him. John was rejoicing. It brought great joy to the heart and, and tears to the eyes that his son in the faith was walking in the truth. To walk in the truth, again, notice not standing in the truth, not napping in the truth, not lying down in the truth, walking in the truth. Can I get an amen to that? It's more than just believing it and then keeping it to yourself. One of my, a pastor friend of mine, he named, his, he named his sofa the Word. And he would take naps. And I would call him up and go, what have you been doing? Just spent about three hours in the Word. <laughs> we don't want to be napping in the faith. Can I get an amen to that? We don't want to be sleeping in the faith. We want to be walking in the truth. Amen? And again, few things greater than to see people walking with the Lord. I know no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. And certainly that comes first with our kids. It's not even close. I've prayed for my four children more than I've prayed for everyone else combined. And I think that's okay. Can I get an amen to that? Because that, those are ones that God put into your life and you want to see them walking with the Lord. And you want to pray for them. And, and you know, when they're struggling, we hurt and we pray for them. But we want to know and, have, and experience that joy. So not only is he a godly testimony, he's faithfully serving others. Look at verse 5. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. Beloved, you do faithfully. Having commended Gaius for the commitment to the truth, he now commends him for his faithfulness in the way that he lives, the practical ministry of hospitality. You know, one of the, one of the qualifications for a pastor and should be the heart of every believer is we need to be hospitable, recognizing our house belongs to the Lord. We're driving in God's car, amen? We wear his clothes and his money's in our bank account. And we should recognize that everything belongs to the Lord. And we should be those who open up our houses and make people feel welcome and minister to them in practical ways. He says, whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. So it's easy to invite your best friend over for a meal. And it's another thing to reach out to somebody you don't really know. 
But isn't that what the Lord has called us to do? What's the answer? We should have a heart to get to know people. I saw this on social media this week, and, and the young woman, she's an atheist, and she said this to Christians, and, and I, I, I actually liked the post. Here's what she said. She said, instead of just coming at me and screaming at me about Jesus, why don't you just invite me to your house and get, get to know me a little bit? And I think, guys, that we need to talk to people about Jesus, absolutely, but people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Can I get an amen to that? And if we just love on people and pour into their lives and show them the love of God, and then, then we've earned the opportunity to really speak, and they will listen. Amen? I was talking to a young man a while back, and I said, what, what would get through to you? He said, if someone just looked me in the eye and told me they cared about me and would listen to me. And as believers, I think sometimes we don't take the time to do that. And the exhortation, the encouragement here is to minister not just to the brethren, but also to strangers. It's that, outward, it's that outworking of God's command to love one another. And Gaius' service was a, a love in action. He was opening the doors to the missionaries. He was opening the doors of his house to those that were running for their lives. And he was making sure that they were being cared for. It says there, who bore, verse 6, who have borne witness of your uh, love for the church, of your love for the church. And if you send them forward in their journey in a manner worthy of God, you do well. The word was out. If you go to that city, Gaius will take care of you. The word was out for other believers. Like, look, if you're in town, you go there. They'll make sure you're taken care of. You know what? I think as, as the church, we should be so giving that our country doesn't need a welfare system, that everybody who's in need would just come to the church. We'd give them what they needed. And then we'd give them what they really needed. We'd give them Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? We had a food bank in Santa Cruz. People would come every week to get food. And you know what that was an opportunity for the gospel. Let's minister to people in a physical way so we can speak into their lives spiritually. Gaius' agape love for both those that he knew and those he didn't reflected in his hospitality, providing a safe place to be fed, to rest, to be refreshed, and to be encouraged. Again, we open up God's house for God's glory. Notice he says there, if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you do well. These missionaries had sacrificed greatly, had stepped out and were traveling the world to spread the gospel. And Gaius was making sure that they had a safe place to be. Not only the missionaries should sacrifice, but our job is to support them. Not all of us are called to be in full-time ministry or uh, certainly I'm not, I haven't been. I've been a pastor. Through, I've had a job the whole time, pretty much, right? But let me just say this, that there we still can be involved in ministry by supporting those who are. Amen? Amen? I love that we're supporting a church plant in Brazil, and I love to see what God's doing down there because you guys faithfully give. That happens. I get calls almost every day from the radio programs that are on five different radio stations, and God's using it because we faithfully give in this church, and now it's reaching other people with the gospel. I'm blessed to hear what God's doing in Ohana. We want to get more involved with what they're doing. Amen? It's like a crisis pregnancy center, giving women a godly alternative. Guys, we want to be faithful to take what God has given us and use it for his glory. Amen? And go beyond. We want to bless them. We want to minister to them. Too often what we'd hear is, especially Calvary San Jose, because the church was very large. I was an assistant there, and people would bring stuff for the missionaries. And they would bring like a pea-stained mattress. I got a new mattress, so I brought this for the missionaries. Really? You know what we ought to do? Give them the new mattress. Can I get an amen to that? One time I was going through it, there was one shoe. Was this guy going to hop to the, to, to the jungles of Africa to share with G people? I mean, we, give, we don't give them the rest. We should give them our best. Can I get an amen to that? And too often we put, and that's what we do with the Lord. We, we made our comfort first and our kids' comfort after that and then education and then traveling. And then we put all these things and then whatever we've got left at the end, if there's anything left, we'll give that to the Lord. You know, I told you guys this before. God, through my dad, taught me as a young man when I got my allowance when I was five years old, you give to the Lord first, you save second, and you live on the rest. Can I give an amen to that? Nobody in the building wants to give to the Lord, evidently. <laughs> you can't outgive God. And we don't, we don't give so we can get. We give because he already gave. Can I give an amen to that? Verse 7. Notice again, serves others. It says there, because they went forth from his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. Here's what happened. The church and the godly people in the town gave so much, they never had to go to the world for anything. 
He's talking about the Gentiles. He's talking here about unbelievers. So when they would come in need, they could come to the church and the church would care for them. I want you to know that when people in this fellowship are hurting or in desperate need, that we help them. And we can help them because you give. Amen? We've had, if we find out that a single mom can't pay her rent, we pay her rent. We find out that someone's struggling, you know, financially, they need, and we want to help them. Why? Because this is what the body of Christ should do. Amen? And Gaius is being encouraged because he's been faithful to do that, been faithful to minister to others. They don't want to stumble other people by, again, having to go to the world for answers, to confuse the message on where they got their help. They wanted to get it from the Lord. And again, we want to be above reproach, our heart only to reach them, not only to reach them with the gospel, but with a heart of love. Verse 8, last verse on Gaius, we therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers in the truth. Those who are serving sacrificially, we ought to receive them, bless them, and send them forward to do God's work. Give them out of our best, not our rest. Let's bless other people that are faithfully serving the Lord. Let's be an encouragement to them. And let's, again, go out of our way to live sacrificially so they can be faithful to their calling. It says that we may become fellow workers. When we send them out, we join in their ministry. I truly believe this. I believe when we give to a ministry, that whatever God's fruit is from that ministry is on our account as well when we get to heaven. Amen? When we faithfully give, and that's why I encourage you, if you're going to give to something, give to something that you know is fruitful. Give to a ministry where you're personally being impacted where you're growing yourself, something that you see has had impact on other people's lives. You give to the things that you know are fruitful and that through them, God is being glorified. When we send them out, we join them in their ministry. If we can't go out, send them, support them, have the same heart of sacrifice, and again, to, to help them do what they're called to do. So number one there, a faithful brother. Number two, a divisive dictator. This is a guy that uh, needs Jesus, Amen but he thinks he's got him. Look what it says here, a word rightly spoken. Look at verse eight, nine. I wrote to your church, but Diotrephus, who loves to have preeminence among them, did not, did not receive us. So when somebody else came along in need, he wanted no, no, wanted no desire to help them in any way, shape, or form. And what he was focused on is preeminence. He wanted to be in the spotlight. He wanted to be the one everybody talked about. He didn't, want, he didn't want to point people to Jesus as much as he wanted to point people to himself. Whenever I flip through Christian TV, and by the way, I use that term loosely because a lot of it's not Christian, but you flip through and you see the worldwide ministry of and some guy's name underneath it, I can't get off that channel fast enough. Amen? Because we don't point to men, we point to him. Amen? And so the exhortation and the encouragement, he says, look, Diotrophus, he wouldn't even welcome these people into his house that were running for their lives or that were doing ministry and needed a place to stay. And he's a guy that wanted preeminence. He wanted to focus on him. He didn't want to help the missionaries because the focus might be taken away from him if somebody else leads someone to the Lord. So tragic that people can fall into this trap. So number one of the six marks of this man is he's a man who loves to have preeminence, who wants to be first. He's power hungry. He's self-serving. I know pastors have gotten caught because they were stealing from churches pastors who get caught because they're taking advantage of women in the fellowship. This is a guy that doesn't care about the Lord. He cares about himself. And that's the kind of man Diotrophus was. It comes an extent, the, the church itself becomes a cult of personality. When you talk to them, all they'll talk about is the name of the person whose church they go to. I go to so-and-so's church. You know what? We go to the Lord's church. Can I get an amen to that? And he is that sh the shepherd of this church, not any man. Jesus alone is to have preeminence. And again, when you're seeking preeminence, it brings division. No church ever split over a debate on who should be the chief servant. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> no, I want to serve more. No, I want to serve more. You know what they fight over? Who gets to have preeminence? Who gets to have their name lifted up? Who gets to serve in the ministry they want to serve in? Notice there the second point is, who does not uh, respect authority. Notice it says there in the next verse, says, therefore, if I come, I will call mine his deeds, which he does prattling against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to be putting them out of the church. So the first thing we see about this man, when I call on you his deeds, he does pratting. The word pratting there, it just means babbling, gossiping, speaking out of turn. 
He's a guy that loves to talk about other people and talk about himself, praise himself, rip everybody else. And his desire is that he be seen more godly than other people. And again, like that man taking eight minutes to introduce himself. A man who's always right, who won't receive correction. A man who does not respect authority. A man who's unteachable, not only won't receive correction, but won't see, receive, seek out godly counsel. I've been a pastor for 34 years, and I have four or five pastors that I still talk to on a regular basis, seeking counsel from them. I call them up, sometimes just to pray with them, call them up when I'm having a tough day grieving over my son. And when I'm having a tough day, there's somebody I can pick up the phone and they will pour into my life. And these are people that have discipled me when I was a young man, have spoken into my life, and I need counsel. And I want godly counsel. And you know what? We all need godly counsel. Amen? We all need those. We can pick up the phone and we can say, hey, I'm really struggling with this. So the word prating literally means talking nonsense, bubbling up when it comes to the surface. It's worth nothing. And that's the way he spoke. Not only that, he's a, a man or woman who will slander all who comes against him, would rather see the church burn to the ground than be wrong. Why the words says to receive an accusation in, against somebody, right? We want to have witnesses to that, but there's always going to be somebody who's got an ulterior motive and something they want, to, they want to have done, and they're not doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. A diatrophist will attempt to divide and even destroy a church before they will repent or even examine their own behavior, the false accusations without a fact. And again, it's so tragic because it happens in churches all the time. What is your motive? Is it for God's glory? To make a name for yourself. And Diotrophos, it was to make a name for himself. He wants to be first. He's power hungry. He's self-serving. He's always right. He won't seek to receive godly counsel. And he'd rather see things burn to the ground. Number five there, one is controlling and dictatorial. Look what it says at the end of verse 10. He says there, will not receive the brethren, forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Here's what he said. If somebody comes and needs help, I'm not going to help them. And if you help them, I'm throwing you out of the church. That's what verse means. Now, is this the guy you want for your pastor? He basically is saying, we're not going to help anybody. They're on their own, sees everybody else doing ministry as competition and the enemy, and tells his own people, if you help them, I'm going to throw you out of the church. This is a man who is self-centered. This is a man who's being rebuked openly by the Apostle John because this is a man who's doing more to hinder the gospel than to bring people to Jesus. Again, his will, his power is what he wanted more than anything else. And again, Gaius was motivated by his love for God and for God to be glorified. Putting them out of the church, again, what a harsh, harsh statement. He's a harsh man. And then it says the last one who is harsh in his treatment of others. That's not agape love. Agape love gives. Eros takes. Agape love esteems others greater than itself. Eros esteems itself. We want to die to ourselves and love and serve and minister to people. I don't think we were as good at it this year as we were last year, and I'll take the blame for that. But every year at Thanksgiving, we typically say, hey, if anybody doesn't have a place to go, let us know. I know a lot of people did step in, but we want to make sure that you're not alone on Thanksgiving because we have a lot to be thankful for and you're part of our family. Can I get him into that? And so we need to have that heart to recognize all that we have belongs to the Lord. Finally, verse 11 says, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does evil, he who does good is of God, and he who does evil has not seen God. See, when someone does evil, they don't know God. What I mean by that is it's not a believer who sins in a moment, but it's somebody whose life is focused on doing evil. You cannot do evil and know God. Amen? So the people that are all fired up and mad and angry about abortion, and they just want abortion up till 28 days after the baby's born, that was Prop 1, and people voted for that, that is evil. Can I get an amen to that? It is evil when we put our... our Focus above the Lord and above other people. It's evil. And the world we live in today is so filled with evil. But the Bible tells us in the last days, men will call good evil and evil good. And so you know what that means? We're getting close. No man knows the day of the hour, but we're in rapture season. Can I get an amen? Because we can know the season. And we need to live every day different than the world and stand for the truth. And this Diotrophus was the kind of guy that he did evil. If you want to imitate an example 
Imitate the next man or Gaius. Don't imitate Diotrephus. Don't be that guy. Don't follow his example. Let's finish up. Finally, point number three there at the bottom, a word of praise and encouragement. It says, Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. We also bear witness and you know that our testimony is true. He's got a godly testimony before men and women. If we went in your neighborhood and went to your neighbors on each side of your house and said, hey, tell me about your neighbor, what would they say? And would Jesus come up at some point in that conversation? I sure hope so, amen? That we should be known for the Lord and known for our, our kindness and our gentleness and our love for people. And when they talked about Demetrius, everybody knew he had a godly testimony in the light of the truth of God's word. You looked at his life, you looked at the word of God and they matched up. He, he bore witness, John bore witness of his character. I hung out with that guy. I've, I've walked with that guy for years. I know what kind of man he is. And Gaius also knew it to be true. Lord, we need more men like Demetrius today who seeks only to love and serve and honor God to walk in the truth. And then he closes this little postcard of a letter, these final two verses. He said, I have many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly. We shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. And again, greet the friends by name. John loved other believers so much that while he could have written more, he said, you know, I just want to see you face to face. Wasn't it wonderful for some of us to see family members and friends on Thursday that we hadn't maybe seen in a long time? My, my wife's uh, family came. I hadn't seen my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law in a long time. And it was just, just so good to be around people that you love. And that's the heart of a believer. We should love being around people that we love. And he longed for not just to write him a quick letter, but to spend time in their presence. So in closing, a word rightly spoken to a faithful brother, he encourages him. A word of appreciation for how he's walking, his testimony, his faithfulness to serve others. But then also there's sometimes going to be a word of rebuke, a word of correction. And he gives six marks of this man that was not being used by the Lord, that was self-centered. He was one who loved preeminence. He one who did not respect authority. He was not teachable. One who will slander all who come against him. He was controlling and dictatorial. And he was one in harsh in his treatment to others. And then finally, words to a good and godly example, a word of praise and encouragement. And again, he had a great testimony before men. His godly testimony, the light of God's word. He's one who bore witness by his character and one who seeks only to love, serve, and honor the Lord. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We thank you for the, for the faithfulness of those that have gone before us. We thank you for two examples in this morning's text that we can follow after in Gaius and Demetrius, Lord, and their love for you. The lives that they live brought glory and honor to your name. But we also heed the warning of diatrophies, Lord, that we would not fall into the same trap of making it all about us. Because, Lord, it's not about us. It's about you. We need to die to ourselves, take up the cross, and follow you. Jesus said of John the Baptist, none were born greater than him. And John the Baptist said, I must decrease that you might increase. Lord, I pray that we would all decrease, that you would increase in our lives. That there would be less of us and more of you. That we would walk in the power of your Holy Spirit and not in the strength of our own flesh. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.